0: From Santa Barbara, California, the Timeless Voyager series, where the knowledge is timeless and you are the Voyager. Interviews with leading-edge authors and speakers, psychic phenomena and the unexplained, UFOs, extraterrestrial encounters, government cover-ups, alternative health care, new technologies. Fasten your cosmic seatbelts and join me, your host, Bruce Stephen Holmes, the Timeless Voyager. everyone. Bruce Stephen Holmes The Timeless Voyager. Today's guest is author and speaker Thomas Rosetto. He is one of the newest and freshest voices in the genre of mystical spirituality. I was first introduced to Thomas many years ago by a mutual friend who thought we should meet. Now, later on, Thomas introduced me to his mentor at that time living here in Santa Barbara, who offered satsangs. Uh, meetings in truth. After attending many of these satsangs, I realized that I had missed a substantial part of Thomas's personality. You see, I had known him as a tech geek with a degree in electrical engineering and computer science, software design, and more. But he had stepped away from that lifestyle, and he was now speaking and writing articles about enlightenment. What makes these articles different is that Thomas digs deeply into the core of the knowledge to reveal both the essential wisdom and the heartfelt compassion that all true sages embody when they are genuinely engaged in the world. Book Living the Paradox of Enlightenment available on amazon.com has been described as one of the most beautiful and easy to understand books about enlightenment, personal peace, and conscious creation. He's been featured twice on Coast to Coast AM and on the prestigious lecture series, Mind and Supermind, presented by Santa Barbara City College. Even Graham Hancock, a well-known British writer, Fingerprints of the Gods, selected him as author of the month twice. Thomas has been a guest on Rick Archer's podcast, Buddha at the Gas Pump. What a great bio. So, without any further ado... Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thank you so
1: much, Bruce, for having me. I'm really delighted to be here.
0: You know what? Let's, let's start with, with this question I've had since I looked over the book and, and some of the articles. Um, and I'm going to look over here for a second. Why, or I'm going to say why, let me start this way. Living the paradox of enlightenment, what do you mean by that?
1: There are many, many paradoxes in my book, but the key paradox that that title is pointing at is that someone, and I'm not fully enlightened, I want to be clear about that right up front, but someone who isn't enlightened will think of themselves as this person, this sentient being, this mortal being, this physical being. That is their fundamental idea in their understanding. But when you actually open up to the full truth of it, you realize that your fundamental identity is different. You go through an identity shift. And you realize that you are what is looking through your eyes, which is a formless reality. This formless reality, and I like to use that word reality, arises as all of creation, including your body. So when you shift into this understanding that your fundamental nature is this unchanging source awareness, Then you realize that you do not become enlightened, but the person becomes enlightened. And so in that way, it's a paradox, because now this reality is going to live through this person, but it isn't really what became enlightened. So there's that paradox.
0: You know, it's interesting that you said it that way, because there's an adage that says, the seeker cannot become enlightened. The first time I heard that many many years ago, I I thought what after all this work. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then and then as it went on, I began to realize, of course, the seeker basically is the ego, and the um, ego can't be yeah, enlightened. It can never. It, it can't be enlightened. What it can be is the ego.
1: And let's talk about that point, because. When I use the word you, or how are you doing, or whatever, there's a functional interpretation of what that is. This is the person, Bruce, that I'm asking, how are you? How is the person, Bruce? It's not really saying, how is your eternal essence, Bruce? The unchanging, formless reality. I don't need to ask that question. I'm asking about the person. And so in this sense, who you truly are will never become enlightened, because who you truly are is what enlightens all beings that's really something to think about
0: right well it's uh, and just to just to continue with that so it's it's the uh, and I, and i'm i'm not i don't want to interrupt you too many times, but hey, oh, you know, go ahead. <laughs> i like I like to talk for uh for the listeners and, and 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 the uh the people that are watching the show because they don't have a way to get in there and ask questions, so I try to pretend that i'm hearing it through their ears and their eyes, seeing it through their Exactly. The but, but the interesting point about all of this is that the confusion, uh, that or let's say the possibility of confusion for people to first hear about this, is that in the beginning it's, how do I get this thing that I want to have, which would be, let's say, enlightenment. And then when you're told the first time, well, you know you really are already enlightened, that's that's enough for some people to say okay <laughs> i'm enlightened what a great thing okay i see you later yeah what what people don't realize is that they're saying as you said the two different youths. the yeah. youth that is already enlightened it's not the you that just asked that question okay so why don't you continue and i'll, I'll yeah, let's
1: let's nuance that just a little bit the you, your fundamental nature, this formless reality, is not something that could be enlightened or could not be enlightened, yet it is the source of the grace of God, if you will, that does the enlightening. So this formless reality is the enlightened and the person is what becomes enlightened, But even the person is not who you truly are fundamentally. And it's very much like they speak of this person being an instrument of God. So let's imagine that it's an instrument like a musical instrument, like a ukulele. You need to tune the ukulele. When the ukulele is not in it's not enlightened. It can't be used fully. So that involves states of personality where you are selfish, which... You mentioned the word ego. The word ego is really personality construction, and the ego can be purified so that it doesn't have any selfish tendencies. In other words, the ego can be tuned, the person can be tuned, and then they're no longer inhibiting this process of that which gives rise to everything using this tool in the most beautiful way. So the tool of the person becomes more and more Compliant to the use and the flow of the divine grace.
0: Yeah, you know, um, in the uh, you, you you gave me an article to read, and I don't have I don't have the title of it in front of me, but uh, I found it interesting in the sense that, um, yeah, you know, you can only say and I don't mean this derog- in a derogatory way, but. There, there comes a point where you can't uh, say very much about it, or you can talk all day long about it. You know, I'm, I'm in the process of reading the Brahma Sutras, and I, I, I and sometimes when I, as I'm going through them, I think to myself, how many times are you going to say this? Yeah. So if you're looking, if you're looking for a book that's got a beginning, and middle, and an end, don't read the Brahma Sutras, but. Yeah. If you're if you're looking to have that confirmation that there's an experience that that can be let's say written about, then yeah, that's that's where it is. I don't want to get onto the Brahma Sutras, but I'm just yeah. And,
1: and that's an interesting point because my language skills aren't all that great. I even have to struggle struggle with English. Um, I think I'm a little bit dyslexic. I can't read that well. I can't spell. So. When I was young and I got, oh, Buddhism, maybe Buddhism is an interesting thing, I just couldn't deal with these words, those Sanskrit words, the Pali words. So I had to put that aside until I walked into Timothy Conway's satsangs. And whenever he would use one of those words, he would immediately give us an English definition. And I could remember that, but I couldn't remember the word. Um, And so my point is a little bit broad, in that I don't think you really need to read a lot of books. Timothy is very much a scholar. He has a scholarly mind, extremely intelligent, extremely skillful at words. And so he's read, he's got a library, a personal library of over 4,000 books. I said, Timothy, did you really read all these books? He said, I at least glanced at them, and I read a lot of them. So he has an encyclopedic knowledge of Whatever perspective you might want to bring up, Hindu, Buddhist, Taoist, whatever. Me, I don't know. But every time I went to those weekly satsangs, I just listened and listened. And I said, that's interesting. Um, I don't think I really understand it, but it sounds like it has a really deep truth to it. And I'm going to come back next week and listen some more. And so what I finally distilled out of all of that is the book or the articles. There are many articles on the website, they're all free. And if you like the essays, you will like the book. Um, And the book doesn't hold back the key, like, oh, they gotta buy the book before they get the key. No, the keys are in the free essays. And if you want a little bit more expounded around it, then go to the book. So um, I don't think if you're like me, and it's like, man, I cannot read, I'm not trying to get a PhD in enlightenment, You know, I just want, tell me what the gist of it is. I think I have something to offer. Now, it's not everything because if you really do want to dig into Buddhism or Hinduism or all the others, do that and then check it against the framework of what I'm putting. And I like to use a tag phrase, um, spiritual awakening in simple, clear English. So that's what works for me. And you will find some market differences between what is commonly found in Buddhism and what is commonly found in Hinduism in my work. Even though Timothy put these on the table and I I went – when I heard them, I went, well, that's really interesting. That feels really good to me. I didn't realize that there was another interpretation. I'll give you an example right now. In Buddhism, they often talk about how there is no self. Well, if I would have walked into Timothy satsang and he kept talking about how there is no self, I don't think I would have come back. But what Timothy said was, the word anatta is being translated as no self when it really should be translated as, this is not your fundamental self while pointing at, in the context of what was being said, your body and the components of your personal experience. And Buddha is going through these five skandhas, these five components, and saying, this is not who you truly are in a fundamental way. And then he goes to the next one. This is not who you truly are in a fundamental way. And he goes through them all. And in that, there's the understanding of, or at least the questioning, What what am I fundamentally? And in this, that is called the process of disassociation. I am not my body. I am not my soul. What am I? I am this formless reality that has two capacities, the capacity to perceive and the capacity to create what you perceive. And that's quite profound, and that's like a dream, right? You construct a dream and you witness a dream. Your true fundamental nature is this reality that can perceive and create what it perceives. So that's the process of disassociation. Most people don't go all the way to that last step. So this is the true self, the true fundamental self. And then there's the process. That's the process of disassociation. There's a process of reassociation, reidentification, where you realize... This is arising as the mountains. This is arising as the entire cosmos. I am all of that, but not in a fundamental way. You are the streams. You are the mountains. You are the ocean. But that is not who you are fundamentally. Fundamentally, you that which arises as that, you are the formless that is arising as all form. So that's what I call your fundamental identity, your non-fundamental identity, and then your functional identity is this person that we refer to as Tom or Bruce. And this functional identity is actually a merger of the one true self functioning through it. It's not stripped away from it. It cannot be stripped away from it. And it's very much like this metaphor that I talk about a number of times in my book about the actor and the character. Maybe you want to pick up on some of that.
0: Before we do that, since you've mentioned Timothy Conway a few times, um, why don't you tell people a little bit about him and how you met him and and what this is about? Because he's probably a name that many people are not familiar with.
1: Yes, yes. Yes, and uh, there's a little bit of a sign in my voice about this because one of the reasons why he's not well-known is because, he, one, he never chose to put himself out there like a business mm-hmm. to, to market spirituality and enlightenment. And one of the main reasons for that is he, he chose to be home with his beautiful wife, Laura, who was having health issues and needed him there, and he stayed there. And that was for decades. And the sigh is because Laura just recently passed away. And so... um,
0: I had no idea. I I wouldn't have uh, triggered that if I had known, but...
1: It's it's okay. I mean, sadness is a natural thing. Of course. It's not meant to be conquered. If I was more enlightened, I would be happy all the time. No, it's about a natural flow and an acceptance of all emotions.
0: Well, you know, so, let me just sure. for a second. So the thing about about that concept that you just brought up, because that you can say it like in a few words that pass right through, or we could talk to, about it a little bit. But the point I, I think could be made here is that one of the misconceptions that I come across on a regular basis is let's. I'm not going to enumerate them, but I'll just say it this way: one, people expect. A person who is quote-unquote enlightened to be perfect (laughs) they they want the they want the human being to be perfect so if the human being gets sick they'll say how come you're sick i thought you were enlightened yeah or if you have an emotion you express an emotion like you just did or another emotion like anger they'll say wait a minute i thought that if you are enlightened why are you how can you how can you have anger what people don't understand is we are not necessarily, and I'll leave a little opening there, reconstructing the human physiology through enlightenment. But that's not necessarily true. But on, on one level it is. And that is there are many, many levels to enlightenment, which you basically uh, kind of said in the beginning of this this um, interview without saying it. So So the thing about it is that, People need to understand that w- that that a person who's enlightened is not a puppet of a higher self, but rather the. Um, and you can correct me if I say this wrong, but rather the, um, the the representation of the higher self, looking through, let's say, the lower self, lowercase self. Yeah. That's the one everybody has trouble with, capital S self small s that's the way we do it in the english language so so you're looking through the physiology so uh, let's see if i can say it and i'm i'm going to stop in a moment <laughs> cuz i got tongue tied what what i think you have is the the unbounded absolute <clears throat> looking through the manifest at the absolute and reflecting on it. I
1: like that. And the power, this source, is unbounded. Imagine the most magnificent musician. Let's say they're a guitar player. Absolute virtuoso. And they pick up an out-of-tune guitar. They will not be able to express that mastery through that limited instrument. First of all, and I use this example in my book about a ukulele rather than a guitar, so I'll go to the ukulele. The ukulele is small, can't play very loud, only has four strings, doesn't have a very wide musical range. But when it's in tune, it can play beautiful songs. It can play happy songs, sad songs fast songs, slow songs. But it's still a limited instrument. It's not going to sound like a tuba. And so this is getting in tune with your calling as a person. You have a theme. You've chosen a theme. And you're expressing in that theme. And if you think that you should be a tuba when you're actually a ukulele, you'll have frustration, disappointment, perhaps anger. You'll wonder, well, how come I'm not like them? You know? And so... That's a very important point that this unlimited, unbounded reality is expressing itself through form, which is always limited. The adventure on Earth plane is an adventure in limitation. A lot of people don't want to hear that because who you are is this unbounded, formless reality, free, unbounded. And yet, who this person Thomas is has limitations. And it's being expressed in the world as best this functional identity is coming up with. Now, you mentioned something about being a puppet. This is kind of a delicate point uh, because it's often misunderstood immediately. The person is essentially a puppet of this full, of the higher self, and then above that, this full reality. However, you are not the puppet. You've confused yourself as to identifying yourself as the puppet, but you are the puppet master. So I'm not saying that you're not free. I'm saying that you are free being expressed through this finite instrument, this person. And I myself am not enlightened. But I think I got a pretty good picture by hanging around Timothy of what enlightenment really is. And I get the definition. And if you have a teacher that says, oh, you can't make a definition, really got to wonder about that. The definition has two points. One, You are completely awake to who you truly are as this formless reality, the one self of all selves that arises as all these apparent selves. Fully awake, that's number one. Number two, completely free of all selfish and self-centered desires. This is often called, um, in Buddhism, they put it something like... um, Binding likes and dislikes. But I, I phrase it this way, um, to be polished up and not bound by selfishness. There are wholesome desires, not selfish desires. Self-love is very important, but it's not the same thing as being selfish. If you go get a massage, that can be receiving the love of God coming through your masseuse and that's self-love but you could be a selfish person and try and boss the person around and not give him a tip and treat him right you know you know what I'm saying so you want to be awake to that now I am trying to polish up both of those arenas being fully awake to who I am and being completely free from selfish desires but I can clearly see that I am not done with either of those but I have a picture it's like in the old days when we had slideshows, you could drop it in and the slide would be a little bit blurry and you'd need to like move it around a little bit and it's coming. Oh, oh Okay, I see. You could, I could tell it was a tree, but now I can tell it's an oak tree or whatever. Things come a little more into focus. So that's the process that I'm in, and it's really God working through me, polishing me up to help me become, if you will, more enlightened. But um, I usually don't talk about it that way. I usually talk about it as becoming less selfish. It sounds a little more human. So that's, what I, that's where I like to go with that.
0: You know, um, in, your, in chapter one of your book, uh, I'm going to read this. You say, you do not have to believe an authority figure since you can check all of it out yourself. Reality, as always, is the supreme teacher. Could you explain that a little bit?
1: What passes in our world as an authority figure is often not. They're confused or they're misguided or they could even have sinister intentions. And yet we as humans have been trained if you will, hypnotized, to look up to authority in just about everything. What about this? Well, check with the authority. What about that? Check with this authority. And so this can lead to confusion because people are saying, well, should I believe this teacher who says, like my teacher, my mentor, Timothy Conway, that this anatta concept, there is no self, that Buddhism focuses on, is slightly Misinterpreted, slightly mistranslated, and it should be: this person is not fundamentally who you are—not self, rather than no self. Now you're in a tug of war: do I believe this or do I believe that? So you're going to have to look inside in yourself. Now you'll have a resonance to where you, who, which teacher is more appropriate to you at that time. And so as you fold into your teacher, and work with what they might give you, meditations, for example, you'll become more intuitively wise, which when your cognitive processes are matching with your intuitive processes, you have harmony and they work together. A lot of people think that there's a conflict either a conflict between your mind and your heart or your intuition and your mind or something like this. These are just different tools. They can work in harmony. If you believe that these tools will come forth in your personality, in harmony, for your benefit, you will have a much more responsive flow into this wisdom. The wisdom will grow quicker. But if you think there needs to be some kind of internal battle, that one has to win over the other, you'll probably not grow as quickly. And so this is something that you can show yourself. And when I talk about conscious creation, this is also something that you can demonstrate to yourself. And you don't need to demonstrate it from this point forward. You can even look how this worked in the past. And um, so I, I invite everybody to look at what's being offered and say how it resonates with them. When I was really young, I would hear something that someone said, and I wouldn't like it, and I would throw them away. The whole thing, gone, you know. And then I realized, that's really stupid. Why be like that? Why not listen to this? Oh, I like that. Oh, I don't like that. Maybe I don't understand it completely. I remember when I first started going to Timothy's, an elderly woman there, she was in her 80s, and pretty knowledgeable about this kind of spirituality, said, there is no doer. And I'm like, wow, there is no doer. What is that about? You know, because I was busy looking out in the world going, well, he's doing that and she's doing that and I'm doing this. And, and, that. and then I realized that, and I was slightly interpreting it different than what she was. It's not that there is no doer, it's that the supreme doer is completely invisible, cannot be perceived in any way whatsoever. This reality is unfolding in this dynamic process, and you cannot see a thing or a person or being and go there is the supreme being there is the supreme doer it is this reality that cannot be pointed to that has no form this is the doer so these things just check them out for yourself
0: you know um you talk a lot about non-dual wisdom yes Non-dual.
1: Excuse me, but I don't usually use that label because it's been so misunderstood, but continue. Well,
0: you talk about, okay, so maybe, but you talk about it. Maybe not. I,
1: I do talk about it. Yes, I have.
0: We've been talking about it, actually. Yes, but yes. The I wanted to bring that up was to bring the attention of those people that are watching and listening to the fact that there is a, just, it's another term non-dualism as opposed to it's something different because most of these terms that we hear about in in all of the possibilities are just terms for the same thing of course that's where i was going to go with that
1: and they're trying to point to that which cannot be pointed to and so obviously we're going to have some awkwardness with that Um, I have a free essay about why we call it non-dual wisdom, and I think it's the second chapter in the book. And in there, I'll just give it real quick in one sense: God and creation are one reality, not two. And so in this, we have the one and the many. It's not that there is only the one or that there's only the many. We commonly live in the world of the many, and we don't understand commonly. This all unfolds from the one. And when you lose that, you're missing the richness of what life is. And when you focus on only the one, you may miss distinctions between this person who's helpful for you, and this person who's not helpful for you. does not mean that all people are the same. It means they arise from the same essence. It's a unique expression of that which arises as everyone. So um, there's a few more things in that essay. It's a longer essay than I expected. Um, But in there is a discussion of, is there duality? I say, absolutely. There is hot and cold. Experientially, there is a difference between that. I could pour a bucket of cold water on your head and you're going... I know what that is. That's a cold bucket of water, you know. And so we should be, we should acknowledge this reality. We should acknowledge these experiences. We should acknowledge the emotions of sadness, the emotions of happiness. Those are emotional dualistic expressions, but they arise from the one.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the concept of illusion. Ah, yeah. Because uh, if there's any problem, that can be created by talking about illusion it's that (laughs) word (laughs) and and the definition that basically goes with the word illusion yeah
1: yeah and i use a definition that's in the book in the dictionary you know it's like it's something that exists in a deceptive way now a lot of people think that it means that something doesn't exist i noticed this just the other day on youtube when You know, one of the physicists was saying, time is an illusion. That's what the thumbnail of the video said, time is an illusion. And then the title of the video was, time does not exist. Well, can't have it both ways. If it's going to be an illusion, it has to exist, it has to be real, in a deceptive way, then it's an illusion. But it also can be confusing because the word illusion can often point to the false idea that we think is true when we experience the illusion. Like, let's just talk about the magician who's cutting his assistant in half with a saw. It appears as if one person was cut into two pieces, so it can be referred to as the illusion of the box and the saw or something like that. So the illusion has a name. Now, there's an experience where you're watching this, And it seems like it's validating the concept that one person got cut into two pieces. But that's not what happened. So when you understand the true reality of it, your experience will still seem to indicate that one person got cut into two pieces. But now we know that there's a false idea that you can let go of. But you don't let go of the experience. The experience is still there. Same with the mirage that you see on the horizon. Oh, look, there's a city coming up. Well, there isn't a city coming up. That's a false idea. But there is an experience of the mirage when you go out at, in the middle of the day and you see the sun traveling across the sky. Oh, look, the sun is moving across the sky. Well, actually, the primary action that's making that experience happen is that the earth is spinning on its axis. When you understand the true reality, you let go of the false idea. But when you walk out in the middle of the day, it sure seems like the sun is moving across the sky. And the illusion of this being you, this person being you fundamentally is just like that. It arises and it seems to continually reinforce, this is who you are fundamentally. But this is not who you are fundamentally. This is your functional identity. Your true identity is formless reality, source awareness arising as all form.
0: You know, it's interesting because the the, uh, the analogy that I always love is the wave, as it separates itself from the ocean, is now a wave. So now we have the ocean and the wave. And then when it goes back in, all of a sudden, the wave, does it disappear? No, it was always the ocean in the first place. It's just Mm -hmm. that, for a moment, the illusion was that it was a wave, and it went back in.
1: And that's a very subtle point, that a wave is not a thing. It's also like saying... If you have a flat backyard, this is flat dirt. And I go out there and dig a hole, one foot across, one foot deep, half. You know, it's not a full circle, but anyway. And I say, hey, Bruce, uh, go put this object out in that hole in the backyard. You know right what to do. Oh, there's the hole, but it's not really a thing. The word hole is being treated like a noun, Mm -hmm. but it's not really a thing. It's a description of the environment around it. I could say, well, how much does that hole weigh? well, it doesn't weigh anything. Well, how big is it? Well, it's one foot by one, but it doesn't weigh anything, right? That gives you a hint that you're actually not talking about a thing. I can't say go out there and get that hole and bring it in and put it on the table. Exactly. So look at it. exactly. it's, it's, You know, so the word wave and the word hole are like that, and it can easily lead to misunderstandings. And that's what I was getting at is people yeah. will talk about the world being an illusion. In Hinduism, you read this, the world is an illusion or the world is unreal. Well, what they're saying, it's better to say that the world is an illusion, even though most people will hear that as "not real," does not exist. But when you say, "Oh, what they're saying is it's something that exists in a deceptive way," now you have a richness that you can dive into and
0: explore. I, like that. I would just want to say I like that definition of the deceptive way because it adds. It's almost like you see a word and it's a word, but you exactly. underline that word, and all of a sudden word means more nothing happened it was just underlined but that's just like underlining it I like that
1: yeah and so a lot of the we'll just call them points of contention and why I don't identify as a non-dual teacher when you go into the internet and look around at non-dual teachers you find a large bulk of that is going to be people saying that you don't exist nothing exists nothing matters you know and so there's this deconstruction, and and this is not me. This is not what I teach. And so if I say that I'm a non-dual teacher, and someone says, oh, have you heard this new non-dual teacher or whatever, they'll say, oh, he must be like all the others. I'm not like them at all. So, mm. therefore, I don't use that phrase. I did for a while. I thought I would, when I first started to go out on the internet and put my stuff out, then I started to look around and go, these guys aren't talking the same way Timothy's talking. What's going on here, you know? I was so naive, because I just went to Timothy every week, in person, over and over and over again. I did the same thing. And I, by the way, I did make some audio recordings and posted them up on the Internet. I've got like 75 hours. So if people are interested in this, um, it's available on the website. You have to look at... Uh, my mentor, and in there will be links. It doesn't get used very much, and they were up on Google Drive, so I think Google's put them under frozen, frozen storage. <laughs> Some of them might not play right away or whatever, but anyway, you get the point.
0: Um, let's talk a little bit about perspective. Perspective is so important, and uh, you even talk about core beliefs. Yes. That's perspective.
1: I use a very simple example. Um, there is often another example that's used about the elephant and the trunk and the side and the legs and all that. I use something even simpler, although there's nothing wrong with that. I use the example of a a soup can that's round if you look down on the top, perfectly round. And if you're from the side, it looks perfectly square. And so if you have two people that are looking at this, one from above and one from the side, and they're talking to each other, but they don't understand three-dimensional reality, they just think two-dimensionally. And one says to the other, hey, do you see that circle? Do you see that soup can? Do you see that thing? Uh, yeah, I see it. It's a perfect square. Perfect square? How could it be? You know, isn't, isn't it a perfect circle? But I know that you have excellent perception and you're not trying to trick me and all that kind of stuff. So then I have to start looking for, well, how could his experience be valid, true? And how can my experience be valid, true and yet both of us are missing something and so somebody comes on the scene and says "Well, it's three dimensional blah 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 and go, oh that's how one thing can be like two conflicting things when in fact it is one thing and my experience will not instantly change my experience will change when I change my viewpoint and I stand next to you and I look at the soup can and I see the perfect square ah I see what you're talking about. Yes, I will validate your experience. It's my experience. But it's more than that because, like you mentioned, our core beliefs construct our viewpoint into the world. And that's a very deep subject. And um, I touch on it early in the book, and then I bring it up much later in the chapter on conscious creation about the core beliefs. you want to pick something up on that?
0: Well, My thought was, uh, and that's a good point, Um, why don't we talk a little bit about consciousness, but let's start with personal consciousness.
1: Excellent. Um, I use the word awareness, you've noticed that. And a lot of people, mainstream science, a lot of spiritual people, people in scientific labs, you know, looking at consciousness, to them, consciousness includes the power of perception. Not for me. I separate these. Awareness, the one awareness, is the only, it's not a thing, it's the only reality that can perceive. It's the only reality that has the power of perception. Consciousness is the window through which the awareness looks. So a window cannot see anything. A window is not conscious. But a window presents objects to whoever is looking through the window that scope of objects is unique to that perspective and so the consciousness the personal consciousness timothy myself we use the phrase personal consciousness and we equate it to your soul And in the ancient texts, it's often referred to as jiva. I don't use many Sanskrit words, but I know that one. (laughs) And so those are the same soul, jiva, personal consciousness. These permeate the physical body in normal states of consciousness, normal awakening. And in this, that window of the soul is lining up to the window of the body, the body's five physical senses. So as those windows are lined up, the one awareness can look through it and experience, perceive, any of the objects in the scope of Thomas's window perspective. And so I have a desk and a wall and a door and a chair and all that kind of stuff and sounds and on it goes. But this is a dynamic point of view. It can move around in three-dimensional space. And some people will point out there isn't any such thing as three-dimensional space. But I will say that it's a decent model. It's a good way to think of things. It's the way I think of things. If I call my friend up and say, hey, do you want to meet at the beach to play volleyball at 3 o'clock? I know I'm going to have to get on my bike and go down there in my car, whatever. You know, I'm going to move through this. That's all very functional. And this spirituality, when you really understand it, is very functional. So... um Back to the um, personal consciousness. The personal consciousness is not really, I I called it the soul, but it's not the entire higher self because the higher self is letting off this smaller soul. It's like a bigger soul. lets off this smaller soul that permeates the physical body. But it, the larger soul, is what chose the parents, what chose the theme to be expressed. Mm -hmm. And above that is even more, you know, because... Humans are part of mammals, and they're the consciousness i 'm using that word specifically consciousness, the consciousness of mammals, part of the consciousness of animals and the consciousness of all life and the conscious and it all goes up to Shiva and Shakti, pure awareness, absolute consciousness or the fundamental consciousness I forget how Timothy put it. but um, the one awareness and this consciousness, this seed, this seed vibration that comes forth as all expressions in the world. But um, so that's another difference that's uh, pretty key, and it also means that you cannot raise your awareness. Your power of sentience is always twenty twenty vision, if I may. But your consciousness can be elevated when your mind is purified as false ideas are let go and true ideas are integrated. When hatred and negative emotions are let go and more hopeful, joyful, loving emotions are embraced, then the consciousness is being elevated. And that can be the consciousness of a person, can be in consciousness of a family or a group or a whole world. So the consciousness of the whole world, in my opinion, is elevating through all these experiences. And if I may, I'll introduce, um, interject a little thing from um, the Beatles. Um, While my guitar gently weeps, George Harrison sings something to the effect of, I might not get it exactly right, but um, with every mistake, we must surely be learning. Still my guitar gently weeps. And I think that's really important to look at the world and all the mistakes we're doing and acknowledge that we are learning. It looks like it's a mess, but we are learning. Hmm.
0: Let's talk about, I think this will go well with this. Let's talk about the play. Yes. And the actors. Yeah. because I think very often people hear this metaphor and in the beginning, I'm not speaking for everyone, but in the beginning, it it generally doesn't make much sense. It seems like something that's not necessary. But as time goes on, the more that a person learns or or experiences—I should use the word experiences—this uh, subtle idea of enlightenment, and I don't mean it's subtle, but just the, the, it's 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 subtle in, in many ways. The concept of the play begins to take more and more importance. At least that's how I see it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I use this metaphor a number of times. I bring it up in the book three times on purpose. I bring it up, plant the seed, flesh it out a little bit, A couple of chapters later, I bring it up again and dig into it a little more, and it's like, oh, I didn't know there was more to it. And then a little later, I bring it up again and dig into it a little more, and people are going, there's more, you know? So the first time I bring it up is when I'm talking about this concept of non-dual wisdom, the one and the many, this formless reality arising as all form. Imagine a character. I'm sorry, we'll start with the actor. Imagine an actor. So you just think of a Hollywood actor. And you can easily see that the actor is the source of the character, obviously. But notice that the character is not the source of the actor. The actor is the source of the character. So you look at that and you go, okay, well, then then you point out that everything that's on display, the intention of the play is that you forget that there's an actor you want to buy into the fact that that character is really a doctor and is part of this story. They want you to believe that they don't. Oh, that's uh, Tom, the actor coming forth as this. And you realize the actor, everything that's presented, the will and power of the character is truly the will and power of the actor. And every aspect that's being brought forward is being brought forward. It appears to be brought forward by the character but it's truly being brought forward by the actor. So in this way, we see that the actor and the character are one, but the actor can actually drop the role of the character at any time because the actor is not dependent upon the role, but the role is dependent upon the actor. So in this metaphor pointing to source awareness, source awareness does not depend upon the person Thomas, can drop the person Thomas at any time, The actor comes forward as all of it, but is not fundamentally the person. And so that's the first time I bring it up to allow you to think that the actor is coming forward as the person. We make a distinction between the transcendent source, the actor, and the the dependent construction, the character. It's really important to make that distinction. And yet, Mm. the actor... Is the character
0: just? Just in the- a second. One of the biggest problems that that uh, actors have <sighs> in the business is that the perception is that they are a character. For example, um, I don't. I mean, I'll, I'll just. It doesn't have to be made as an example, but just a possibility. You can take a spectacular, very successful actor who has had. A majority of their life spent in a particular role and then we as the perceivers of them think that the character is the actor and you pointed right out i mean you said it wait a minute the actor is the source of the character but if an actor is so good that that the source literally overshadows them it's very difficult for that actor to not only get work outside <laughs> of that character, but to yeah. live to live in the world. We we saw this with Marilyn Monroe, for example, yeah, exactly. where no one could get straight that what they were seeing was not the actor; it was a character. Yeah. I just thought I'd throw that in for a second.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Rita Hayworth would say that uh, men fell in love with Gilda and woke up with Rita. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, that uh, Barbara Feldon in the Get Smart. You know, mm-hmm. she was ninety nine, and that was it. Spy Girl couldn't get any more work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I was just going to say that the actor and the character are one, because when you are standing in front of the character and you look into the eyes of the actor, you are looking. Well, you're standing in front of the character, so you think you're looking into the eyes of the character, but you're looking directly into the eyes of the actor. You do not need to dig into a deeper and deeper layer of the character and then, oh, here's the actor. The actor is there at every level. And what I mean by this is that this divine reality, this source awareness is coming forward without cutting off any of the divine nature. The person is fully divine. It's a limited form. It has limitations, but it's fully divine. It's a very important point.
0: So, before we, we're, we're actually we're, we're we're out of time, and I want to give you some time to maybe talk about something that that you feel is really important to to kind of wrap this interview up. It's been great, but let me uh, give you a moment.
1: Um. I like these dynamic two-way conversations because they're very important. And the art of conversation is not something many people have. But I like the skillful use of interruptions. I don't usually call them interruptions. But if somebody needs to say, that wasn't clear to me, could you go over it again? That's a good point. I hadn't thought about it like that. You know, things like that can be very helpful. So this dynamic two-way exchange can be very fruitful in unfolding this wisdom within you. And um, maybe some people will pick up on some of that. It's not dynamic, but in those audio files that I put up with the Timothy Conway satsangs, you'll see that going on. And, um, And they can get in touch with me. I can't really deal with much on email, but I hope to have some online work kind of like an office hour where people can show up and ask questions and there can be some dynamic two-way conversation. So that should be really helpful. Also, we really didn't touch much on the conscious creation, which is the third edition of my book has just been released about a month or two ago. And in there was where most of the work went on this long chapter on conscious creation. And in there, the, the principal idea that is often pushed, and it's very popular, and I'm going to just nuance it a little bit,
0: no, go but, ahead. Go uh, ahead. We, can, we'll, work, we'll work this out later, but go ahead and okay. go through what you want to make it make it okay. happen.
1: Um, the, the one of the main concepts in conscious creation that you hear about is that you can be, do, and have whatever you want. And from the perspective of your soul, I would agree you can incarnate this way, that way, on this theme, on that theme. But once you've chosen a theme and have been incarnated in this body at this time, you are like playing the ukulele instead of the tuba. So I don't push the idea that you can be, do, and have whatever you want in this lifetime. So when people hear that, they would some people would just throw my work away because they, they know that they're an unlimited being. And from the wider perspective, you are. But in the perspective of where the rubber is meeting the road now in this life, You shouldn't be thinking about, well, you know, I'm going to become whatever it is, some grandiose idea. Maybe that does happen. So that's one of the big forks in the road why people haven't really um, got any traction on this. I looked into this from the Seth work, which came out earlier than when I started to read it, but I started to read it in about 1980. And I started to realize that what they were saying is that everything is a function of your core beliefs. From your core beliefs will come your emotions. They have to be compatible. So, from the core beliefs and the emotions, then come your chosen actions. Those are compatible too. All of them can be positive, but if the core beliefs are negative, you're going to have negative emotions. And from the negative emotions, you're going to have negative actions. And then you'll have a negative experience. But your core beliefs your emotions, and your actions are up to you because you can choose your core beliefs. You can choose more positive core beliefs. I often talk to people that tell me that the world is a miserable place, da-da-da. And I'm liking, saying this is your experience and your circumstances and your emotions are certainly validating this, but it's your core beliefs that are creating this experience. This is very important. And so in this... I talk about how you can open up to positive experiences. We don't know where this will go, but it can go to a positive experience. It's not hard to switch from a negative experience to a positive experience. And in that chapter about conscious creation, I go into this. So maybe people will enjoy that.
0: All right. It's been a really great interview. I'm I'm so happy you were able to uh, make this uh, today. Tom, Tom, and I know him as Tom. That's half the problem. That's
1: good. I like Tom. I, yeah. I, real quick story. Someone told me when sure. I used my name Tom in satsang very early on, They said, you should use Thomas. And I bought into it. And, but it was good for me to change my name on the books and the website to Thomas because when you go to the copyright office and all that, they want your name and what's on the cover of the book. Thomas, but I am Thomas to my friends and anybody that deals with me. I'm going to treat them as a friend. So Tom, Thomas, good or Thomas, if you will.
0: All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. I look forward to having you again as a guest. If you uh, would. Oh yeah, we got more to talk about. All right. For the rest of you, I just like to say this. I want to thank you for listening to the Timeless Voyager series. You know, I really appreciate your watching and listening to the series on both video and audio players. It's very important. Now, one thing that you can do for me as the founder and creator of Timeless Voyager is to hit that like button. Also, please subscribe. You know, it really helps to keep me on the air so that I can keep producing content like the program you just watched on a regular basis. Subscribing and liking are free. And this is so important. There's no obligation. Uh, But it's a very small action on your part, which is greatly appreciated by me. My name is Bruce Stephen Holmes, and I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards the development of your highest potential is a joyous...